You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. There's some essentials for victory, and and, uh, this story here, this story paves the way for those essentials for victory. Let me give you the first one. It's a long statement, but it's easy to understand. Here's essentials for victory. Number one, we have to realize, I needed to hear this again today as I'm studying to come and teach, a realization that the physical battle of the Christian life, of the Christian life is won only through spiritual means. I've been a Christian a long time. I needed that again today. Have you ever struggled in life? Sure you have. Everyone has had some kind of struggle at some point in their life. And God said that that would be the case. The Bible tells us that Christians will have troubles in this world because this world is just a temporary home. So we know that we will have struggles. So what do we do about it? Well, we can pray. Today, Pastor Danny will remind you that every physical battle can be fought in prayer. Prayer is the greatest weapon that you have because when you pray, God hears. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Exodus chapter 17 as he begins his message, Victory Through Prayer. Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow, I'll stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. Uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian, says that Hur was the brother of Miriam, Aaron's sister. Uh, He was one of the leaders uh, under Moses. And so it's appropriate for Aaron and her to be on the top of the hill with Moses. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. And the picture here to me is very clear uh, prayer. First uh, Timothy, Paul writes, and especially addresses men. He says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands to the Lord. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Prayer is work. It is tiring. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. And I love this statement. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. But with that said, without Moses and Aaron and her on top of that hill, there would have been no victory. We'll come back to that. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. Make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Joshua is the one that would take over after Moses' ministry is completed. And so God wants to make sure that the remembrance of this event, this event gets in Joshua's hand and he reads it regularly so he'll never forget the victory God brought about against the Amalekites. Moses built an altar and he called it The Lord is my banner. That word's used for different things, but one of the main things it's used for is when military would go into battle, they would take the banner representing uh, their team, if you will, their country, and they would take that in with them into battle. And so Moses says, the Lord is my banner. I'll take him into battle. For he said... Hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. That's an amazing statement. He's on terra firma. He's on top of a hill. But in lifting up his hands, he connected with the throne of the Lord. That's incredible stuff. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. The Amalekites were descendants of Esau. Uh, I'm just going to take a real quick look, Genesis 36, and read Genesis 36, verse 15. These were the chiefs among Esau's descendants, the son of Eliphaz, the firstborn of Esau, uh, chiefs Timon, Omar, Zepho, Kenaz, Korah, Gatim, and Amalek, from which came the Amalekites. Esau, Hebrews 12, 16 tells us he, he, that Esau was a godless man. A godless man. The Amalekites were godless descendants of Esau. They were fierce enemies of Israel. When Israel comes into the land of promise, Numbers chapter 14 records for us, um, the spies go into the land, they come back with a good report as far as uh, everything God said about the land is true, but they said, 10 out of 12 of them said, yeah, but there are giants there. We can't go in. And the people there, they're mighty. Uh, one of those people is the Amalekites. And it says there that when the uh, 10 out of 12 spread the bad report in regard to a lack of faith in going into the land, it says, Moses said, you can't stand against your enemies without faith, following the Lord, trusting the Lord. They realized they made a mistake, and so in presumption, say, well, we'll go on in now. And Moses said, no, no. Or Joshua says, you can't go now. Go, can't go now. You, you got to go in faith. Well, they tried to anyway, and one of the peoples that mentions that really gave them a beating were the Amalekites, the Amalekites. And I was right in saying, Moses, I'm getting old. I am old. I'm there. Uh, Judges chapter 6, Gideon. Remember Gideon? Gideon, uh, it says he went up against the Midianites, but guess who was allied with the Midianites? The Amalekites. Judges chapter 6, verse 33. When King Saul took the throne as the first king of Israel, guess who one of the peoples he went up against? Uh, the Amalekites. And God gave uh, Saul as king, one of his first jobs was to go and destroy the Amalekites. He failed. He didn't destroy their king. 
because their wickedness had gone on for years and years, and God used the, the Israeli army uh, to go against them, but Saul as king, he failed. And leaving, some of the Amalekites came just back to haunt them. You get to 1 Kings chapter 30. David is on the run from King Saul. And uh, as he and his men are out uh, on a mission, they come back from the mission and their camp was in a place called Ziklag. And while they were gone, the Amalekites came in and destroyed their camp and kidnapped all the wives and all the children, the Amalekites. Fierce enemies, fierce enemies. Now, look, I, you, a lot of us have heard this before. You need, we need to hear it again tonight. I hope you realize this. Uh, we have um, an enemy. Say it with me. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Ephesians 6 says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to take your stand. Jesus said every day has enough evil of its own, but there is a day of evil when our enemy, the devil, and his cohorts with him, they scheme, they plan, and they attack. Just as real as those ancient Amalekites, fierce enemies of Israel, just as real is our enemy, the devil, and all the demons with him. I've been pastoring a long time now. I've seen a lot of people fall. I'm happy as I stand before you one of those people is not me up to this point. By the grace of God, it will not be. I mean that as humbly as I can say it. But I've seen a lot of people fall. There's a real enemy. A real enemy. I heard Bob Coy give one of the best messages. Gosh, he was such a good teacher. He gave a message a few years ago at the conference in Merritt Island, the Calvary Chapel Pastors Conference on finishing well. Finishing well. I'll never forget it. One of those messages that stuck with me. You know, certain things about it, just and the whole idea, the whole theme, finishing well. I remember Pastor Chuck getting up after after Bob shared, and Pastor Chuck just just was overwhelmed, said, Thank you so much, Bob. Thank you so much. So encouraging. That's what I want, Pastor Chuck said. Finish well. Thank God Pastor Chuck did finish well. But not everybody does. I want to finish well. No, I don't want to finish soon. <laughs> I don't misunderstand. I don't want to finish soon, but I want to finish well. And I know, I know you feel the same way about yourself and your own commitment to Christ. But look, hey, if King David can fall, I can fall. And if we can fall, you can fall. I want to be victorious. There are some essentials for victory, and, and uh, this story here, this story paves the way for those essentials for victory. Let me give you the first one. It's a long statement, but it's easy to understand. Here's essentials for victory. Number one, we have to realize, I needed to hear this again today as I'm studying to come and teach, a realization that the physical battle of the Christian life, of the Christian life is won only through spiritual means. I've been a Christian a long time. I needed that again today. I needed to, to hear that again today. I needed that truth. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And once you find chapter 1, go to chapter 2. That's the wrong verse. Chapter 2. Verse 20. 
Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why as though you still belong to it do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they're based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. Catch this. With their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Victory in the Christian life is not won by my self-control. Self-control is a part of the Christian life. We'll come back to that in a minute. Turn with me to Ephesians 6. We need a fresh reminder of this battle we face on a daily basis. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. You got it? Take a look. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Stop there. You go back to the story we just read in Exodus 17. Joshua won the battle with the sword, but the means of the victory was not the physical sword. Are you with me? The means of victory was spiritual. Very important to understand and never forget. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Now, I'm not going to get into all the gifts, but I'm going to read them all. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. I, will want, I do want to say a word about that one. The belt of truth. Uh, some people say the belt of truth is the word of God, not the word of God, because the word of God is the sword of the spirit. We'll read that in a minute. So what's the belt of truth? It's no hypocrisy. I've got nothing to hide. If I'm wearing the belt of truth, it keeps my spiritual pants up. And I'm not trying to be off color. Other verses talk about being exposed and our nakedness being exposed. Same idea. The belt of truth is what you see is what you get. I'm hiding nothing. Because as soon as you hide something, you're on your way down. It's just a matter of time. Numbers 32, uh, 23. You be sure your sin will find you out. It will. The belt of truth. And I, I think it's interesting the Holy Spirit mentions that one first because it's kind of like everything else falls down without that. The belt of truth. No hypocrisy. No hidden sin. With the breastplate of righteousness in place. That's practical righteousness. Not just righteousness by faith. Practical righteousness. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. You're ready to share the gospel and you're unashamed of the gospel. In addition to this... Uh, Take all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, doubt, whatever it is, faith, win the victory. Take the helmet of salvation. I know where I'm headed. I'm headed for heaven. I'm saved. And the sword of the spirit, 
which is the word of God. But notice how it ends. And some people don't include this last uh, section with the spiritual armor. I think it's vital as part of the spiritual armor. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kind of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. And always, always keep on praying for all the saints. And then Paul says, pray also for me. Absolute dependency for victory on prayer. Absolute dependency on prayer. Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, you don't have to turn to it. It says, news about him, Jesus spread all the more. His ministry has taken off overnight. There's demand for his time. But the next verse says, yet Jesus withdrew often to lonely places where he prayed. And that was the key to his life. That was the key. First Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray continually. Another translation says, pray without ceasing. So obviously, uh, you don't always close your eyes to pray. Because if you're going to pray continually with your eyes closed, you're in trouble. What a privilege to be able to connect with heaven and see God move. Now, here's another essential. Don't miss this one. A clear mind. Peter said, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Acts 24, uh, Paul said, I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Uh, Romans 13, verse 5, therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. Psalm 66, verse 18, the psalmist writes, and he says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. That's what the clear conscience is all about. It's tied in uh, with, obviously, it's tied in with the belt of truth, and it's tied in um, no hypocrisy. But 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, there are all kind of things that I, I might need to get right in my life um, in order to have a powerful prayer life. If, as far as my responsibility goes as a husband, if I'm not fulfilling my responsibility as a husband and it's obvious it, that there's something that I'm failing in, you know, not just natural imperfection, but something known that I need to get right. Listen to what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 3. And the context is, um, well, it starts off with wives being submissive to their husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be, they may be won over by their behavior. And then verse 7, I said, what I wanted you to see, for husbands especially, husbands in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. That just means feminine. That's not a slam on the woman. As the weaker partner and as heirs with you are the gracious gift of life. But notice this, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. If my relationship is not what it ought to be before the Lord with my wife, affects my prayer life. Affects my prayer life. And then we go to this one, essential for victory, self-control. Self, the weakness of my flesh, and I mean that in a general sense, must be overcome. A great uh, verse to look at is Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, a lot of us will be familiar with this, but so practical. Mark chapter 14, and you find it, uh, jump down to verse 32. 
They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. And what he's saying is stay here and pray. Going a little further, farther, he fell to the ground and he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them, uh, you probably know the story, don't you? Sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And then this statement, the spirit is willing, but the flesh, or translated here, the body is weak. One of the best ways to get to sleep is pray. You didn't catch that. Because usually, especially if it's in the evening, you start to pray and all of a sudden you just start to nod off. That's why this is required to have a powerful prayer life. Be alert and self-controlled so that you can pray. Once more, he went away, verse 39, prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. And one of the interesting things about that story to me is when he says to them, pray so that you will not fall into temptation. What happened after that prayer opportunity is they all deserted him and fled. And Peter denied three times that he even knew him, knew Jesus. So I think if they had prayed, things might have been, things would have been different. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I beat my body, make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not become a castaway. But I need to pause and just remind us again where this is connected in regard to prayer and um, uh, spiritual victory. It's not my self-control. It's not our self-control that makes us spiritual. It's our self-control and the self-discipline that keeps us doing the things, spiritual exercises that give us the victory. And if you ever turn those two uh, the wrong way, you get it backwards. You think it's my self-control. No, it's not my self-control. It's my self-control that keeps me reading the word, meditating the word. It's my self-control that disciplines my, me to stay awake to pray and not fall asleep. It's the self-control that keeps us doing the spiritual disciplines. And we got to keep that straight. But there's another thing we need. And thank God, uh, God knows this. And it's in the story we read in Exodus chapter 17. We need support. I love this psalm. Say, Come on, say this with me. Because some of you, I already see you nodding a little bit. Because we're talking about prayer. That's why you're getting sleepy. All right? Come on, say this. You ready? Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. 
for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. That's a great section of that song. Thanks for joining us today on The Living Word. In this study of Exodus, Pastor Danny has been helping you see that God continually looks out for His people. When you think about God, do you see Him looking out for your protection and provision simply because He loves you? God persistently cares about the things going on in your life, from the smallest details to the really big deal events. We hope that's an encouragement to you. God's aware of the things going on in your life, and He's looking to bring about resolution to the chaos. Keep trusting Him and keep connecting with Him through the Bible and through prayer. If you want to hear this teaching in Exodus again, you'll find it by visiting our website, ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Sermons tab. You can also connect with us through social media. Look for links to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. That way you'll be notified as soon as we upload new videos. We also invite you to join our Bible reading plan. You'll find it under the Resources tab at ccfstpete.church. If you're looking for a church, come join us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. All the information you need is at ccfstpete.church, along with links to join us through the live stream. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in to The Living Word.